Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This past spring, Shari Wilson woke up and looked outside. The sky was hazy and gray. The sun, dull and orange. I felt just really, uh, I don't know, just kind of down. You know, there's that orange sky, gray day. She pulled out her phone and checked the air quality index. It wasn't good. I did wear a mask outside because it was unhealthy, unsafe for, for healthy people. Shari and her husband live in Michigan. And like millions of people across the Midwest and Northeast this summer, she was seeing smoke from wildfires in Canada. Even though the fires were thousands of miles away, she couldn't shake this uneasy feeling. I felt sort of kind of trapped in the smoke. And it made me think a lot about my friends in, in California. Shari and her husband, Mark, had just moved from California, where they had spent more than three decades, most of it in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains in a little town called Nevada City. It's where they raised their daughter, who's now in her late 20s. And it's a place I know really well because it's also where I grew up. There are pine trees everywhere and big madrone and oak trees, forests all around. Here's Mark. It's a beautiful place. We had a we had a great evergreen tree that grew up like two feet away from our deck. We thought, this is so great. We can watch the birds. They always knew fires were a risk, but the idea of losing their home seemed remote, far away. And then I think when I saw the Tubbs fire and then the Paradise fire, that was a that was a real wake up. The 2017 Tubbs fire tore through the heart of California's wine country, killing 22 people. Just a year later, the campfire devastated the town of Paradise, killing 85 people, which, up until this year's fires in Maui, was the country's deadliest in more than a century. Those fires just brought it home. Seeing those pictures, and it, it became a real feeling that this could easily happen to us tomorrow. Not long after that, they started thinking about where else to live. They settled on Michigan, where Mark and Shari both grew up. But when this summer's smoke started to blot out the sun, Mark says it was a grim reminder. It made me sad because it was a reminder that You know, it's not just California. It's not just in one place. It's everywhere. And no matter where you go, climate change is going to catch up with you. With excessive heat, stronger storms, and more explosive wildfires, more of us are living on the front lines of climate change. And we're asking ourselves the same questions. If we stay, how do we adapt? And if we move, where do we go? I'm Aaron Baldessari, and this is Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America, a KQED podcast where we reimagine what home should be. 
This season, we're pairing up with our science team to look at how climate change is altering home for millions of people. Over the next six episodes, you're going to hear from six reporters about how we can adapt to a changing climate. Up first is climate reporter Ezra David Romero. He spent half a year following one family as they asked themselves a big question. It's the same question Shari and Mark were facing. When extreme weather comes your way, what do you do? Ezra takes it from here. Storm after storm hit California last winter, 31 in all. They began far away over the Pacific Ocean and doused the parched west coast like firefighters opening a massive hose. By March, soils became oversaturated. Rivers that once ran dry spilled over their banks. President Biden has approved a disaster declaration in California. Most of the state was in a drought just a couple of months ago. 11 million people under flood alerts across the West. One of those storms grew to around 200 miles wide and parked itself over California's central coast. There it dropped nearly 13 inches of rain. That night, Denya Escutia and her family were asleep in their home in the tiny town of Pajaro. I was in my room, and the only reason like, I woke up was because I had the urge to go to the restroom. It was just around 2 in the morning, and the rain had finally stopped. Since I have a dog, and my dog loves to sleep with me, I saw water. I'm like, oh no, he peed. And I woke up, and I turned on the light. And my feet touched the rug, and the rug was wet. And I'm like, why is it wet? With her Pomeranian Lucky next to her, Denya heard the sound of running water. I got scared. I, like, panicked. As her eyes adjusted to the moonlight filtering in through her window, she looked first at the posters on the wall and then down to the floor. Water was gushing into her room. And that's when I went and I woke up my dad. I'm all like, Dad, there's water going into my room. What's going on? And that's when he's all like, there's water in your room? He woke up and then we started unplugging a bunch of stuff. In just a few minutes, the water reached her ankles. It was March 11th, 2023, the day a swollen river swallowed her town. The storm ripped a 400-foot hole in a dirt levee along the Pajaro River, about three miles east of the one-story house Dinya shared with her mom, dad, brother, and sister. A month or so earlier, there was another bad storm, but the levee held. So the family didn't feel like they needed to evacuate. Well, there was a warning, but they never said that it was going to be this bad. As the water continued to surge up from the floorboards, Denya and her family tossed anything and everything, school books, cooking supplies, and clothes, on top of tables, couches, counters, and beds. When her mom got shocked by electrical currents in the water, they knew it was time to go. My dad told us to go into our neighbor's house, which is across from where we live. The family trudged through waist-deep water to their friend's apartment building. Two stories up, they dried off and wondered if they should try to leave town to find higher ground. We were at my neighbor's for two hours, and we saw that the military cars were there, and we took the opportunity to leave. So it was just me, my sister, and my mom that left. My dad and brother wanted to stay, because they thought like the water was going to be gone in like the next day. Sitting in that car on the way to her grandma's, Denya wondered if she would ever call Pajaro home again. My future, I feel like it would look like 
gone. The broken levee is an example of California's aging infrastructure, and the storm showed it's not ready for what's to come. It was built for a climate that no longer exists. California's rivers are just echoes of the past. Indigenous people have lived for thousands of years on the land we now call California. Its vast river valleys were once lush and filled with greenery. Then, European settlers began colonizing it in the mid-1700s. They saw an opportunity, turning marshland into farmland. They transformed rivers that once flowed freely to the sea into highly managed waterways cut off from the people who relied on them. That is a big part of how we got here, was we had a mindset of, we're going to tame nature. Carla Namath directs the California Department of Water Resources. She's a state's top water official. She says California's capital, Sacramento, is emblematic of that mindset. To the conventional wisdom that one ought not to build in a floodplain, California responded with its capital city. That's a quote from the American author John McPhee. Now, 173 years later, Mother Nature is testing that arrogance. A warmer world brought on by the burning of fossil fuels means sharper pendulum swings from extreme droughts to deluges. California's water system, its major cities, and even small towns like Pajaro will face pressures like never before. This year was a taste of what widespread flooding could look like, but it's still just a taste. This was your room. Yeah, I can't touch that anymore. The squishy sound is the squishy yeah, sound. Yeah, the squishy sound is still water being here and mud. I go to visit Denya and her family two weeks after the flood. The entire house is warm and stifling. The carpet's slick with mud. Her quinceanera photo still hangs on the living room wall. She and I stand in her dark purple room. The walls speak of a kid becoming an adult. We are in my room, and... I love princesses and K-pop. But you're standing in mud. I'm standing in mud in my room. First, the water first came up on that side. The family's been hopping from home to home, staying with different relatives. They come back daily to clean what they can, and tomorrow, Denya's high school K-pop club is coming to help out. What's going through your mind now? Well, all I can think about is how I'm going to be able to help my parents throughout this. She's worried about her family because her mom and dad are separated and her mom is taking care of the family now. Denya is 18. She graduates high school in a month and has been dreaming of college to study pediatrics. I heard back from one school, which is UCLA. Amazing. Yeah. Did you get in? Yes. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. I haven't told my parents yet, but I was planning on telling them. Denya's conflicted about whether to pursue her own dream or to stay to help her parents. In this moment, all she can think about is if her car is ever going to work again. The ones that were most that were most affected was my parents' car to go to work and my car, which is currently still has mud in it. And does yours work? No. She's also wondering if her family can stay in this house they've lived in for almost two decades. She thinks the landlord wants to sell the property. 
Daniel dreams of a home far from the river. I see myself living some other place with my family, probably like up by rolling hills or honestly anywhere, but that's not Pajaro because I don't want them to suffer, both mentally and physically what is happening to us. Finding a new home could be really tough. Rent for an apartment can cost more than 3,000 bucks here. And Daniel's family won't be the only family looking for a new place to live. More than 200 homes were heavily damaged or destroyed. Pajaro is an unincorporated community of about 3,000 people in Monterey County. Two-story apartment buildings and older one-story homes line the streets. It's a place that lives and breathes agriculture. Many of Daniel's neighbors work in the fields. They help with the raspberries, strawberries, lettuce, anything. I mean, that's where everyone gets their food from. The flood cost the county more than $600 million in losses to agriculture alone. But for families like Denya's, the broken levee cost them so much more. Were you born and raised here? Or? Yeah. Tell me like about life here. What did you love about life here? I loved that everyone here is a community and they're like really close to each other. And like if we're missing stuff, my mom's all like, oh, go to the neighbors. Like ask them if they have like, for example, a tomato. And then like we're just running around like that. And then the neighborhood kids, we would play hide and seek, cops and robbers, everything. The flood is threatening that sense of community. The Escutias and other Pajaro families are figuring out if they should move to find safer ground. This year wasn't the first time Pajaro suffered disastrous flooding. It's happened a half dozen times since a levee was built in 1949. For decades, officials knew this levee could fail, but they didn't take action. A story by the Los Angeles Times earlier this year revealed that officials with the Army Corps of Engineers determined that the town of low-income people wasn't worth protecting. But Nancy Falstick didn't need to read that in a newspaper. For 50 years or more, people have known that this levee was very much in danger of you know, not being able to withstand heavy rains. It feels like it's just exactly a case of environmental injustice. She directs Regeneración Pajaro Valley Climate Action and has a small office next to an ice cream shop just across the river from Pajaro. It's a horrible tragedy. This happened in 1995. There was a really bad flood. And now it's happened again 30 years later. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers did not design the levee for the amount of water it can receive from big storms. The agency calculated that the value of the homes here wasn't enough to justify the cost to fortify the levee. But since the flood that destroyed Denya's home, the Corps and local agencies are rebuilding the levee to the tune of a half billion dollars. The new levee will provide more protection, but it's still no guarantee. There's no way that you can build a levee system that will protect any community from the biggest of big storms in the future. Stu Townsley is with the Corps' San Francisco district. For more than two decades, he's worked on flooding issues across the state. Anytime that you're living in a floodplain, there is a risk, albeit in some instances small, that some future event will cause you to get wet. But how well will the new levy protect homes in Pajaro? Think of a common 30-year mortgage. 
Over that time, a house here has a 1 in 4 chance of flooding. Jeffrey Mount says that's not good enough. He's a senior fellow specializing in water at the Public Policy Institute of California. The wild card here is our changing climate. Mount argues that every levee in this state should have way more protection. In fact, twice what Pajaro will have when it's done in around a decade. If you basically double the level of flood protection, you don't cut the the economic risk in half. You cut it much more than that, it turns out. But getting that much protection in Pajaro or anywhere in California will cost a lot. Billions of dollars. John Laird is a state senator who represents the Pajaro area. He said the reality is there isn't the political will because of the price tag. I intellectually have a total appetite. And then when you start to tell me how how we're going to pay for it, I want to jump off the top of the building. The reality is they don't even really know the extent of the problem. I analyzed the levees in the greater San Francisco Bay Area and found just 10% have a federal risk rating. Laird says despite how bad the flood was this year, it wasn't enough to make real change. And I would not be surprised if it doesn't take some crisis, just as New Orleans had theirs, uh, to realize that we really have to up our game in California. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. A month after the flood hit, Daniel's family cleaned up the house, tore out the carpet, and stripped the walls bare. No more quinceanera photos. It's too humid sometimes, especially when the heat hits. Um, two days ago, it was, like, really hot. So we were in here, and then we just started feeling even more hot, so we had to go outside. Down the hall in Daniel's old room, all that's left are a few boxes and an old toilet plunger. 
It's not very purple anymore. It's not very purple blue no more. No more princess. No more princesses. <laughs> We're laughing now, but the mood quickly shifts when I ask Denya's mom, Carla, how the hunt is going for a new place to live. Pues que yo no quisiera tenerlos aquí, pero no me queda de otra, no tengo opción. Que a veces me siento como fracasada como mamá, porque aquí los tengo. Pero no puedo hacer más nada para tenerlos en otro lugar. So what she's saying is that she feels like she has failed as a mother because she has this in a place that she doesn't, that she didn't want us to be in, especially because since her childhood was much more rough than ours. She wants to provide the best for us, but there's nothing we can do right now. But then sit and wait. Carla's a custodian at a nearby university. She moved to Pajaro more than two decades ago from Michoacan to join the rest of her family. She's combed the streets, finding little to rent in her price range. She did find one house, a three-bedroom cabin, about 10 miles out of town on a hill. Her favorite part? It's nowhere near a river. How important is it for you guys to live in a place that doesn't flood? It's super. Más que nada, porque... Los voy a tener a ustedes seguros. She feels super content. ahorita siento que no estamos seguros aquí. Y que no los tengo seguros aquí. Pero no tengo otra opción. Y es en el lugar donde los tengo. She feels that secure over there because she won't have us, her kids. And that's the first thing she wants. She wants to secure her kids first. And she doesn't feel like we'll be coming back here no more. But the idyllic home on a hill isn't for sure, and Carla is feeling the pressure to move. It's not just that the landlord wants to sell, she gets nervous now any time it rains. No me pongo en que está lejos, en que está en las montañas, de que está, no, o sea, yo lo que quiero es un lugar estable donde estén ustedes seguros y donde yo pueda estar para irme a trabajar tranquila. Mm-hmm. She says that she doesn't mind if it's far or if it's close. She just wants somewhere to be secured in and for us to live there and for her to go to work, like, calm. For now, the Escutias live in a small trailer just feet from the house. Even with so much uncertainty around them, Denya and Carla are smiling. TV is their main outlet. <laughs> oh, okay, so like we have an antenna that we had bought from long ago that does not um, require Wi-Fi. And all we do is just sit here, we bring some chips or anything, like sodas, waters, and we sit and watch Top Chef. <laughs> that, that's all we do. She had an attack of laughter last time. We didn't know why she was laughing. We thought she was crying, but she was laughing. And we asked her, if she, what was she laughing at? She's not like, I don't know, I'm just laughing. So my siblings and I continued laughing because her laugh made us laugh a lot. So. Sounds like when she has stress, she might laugh. Yep. Denya's stressed as well. Instead of moving to Southern California for college, she decided to stay home with her family. Well, I changed my mind because I want to stay a little bit here longer with my mom. I want to do Cabrillo College. The community college. Yeah, the community college. Then try at least to work to at least help my mom with some rent and some bills so I can help provide some stuff for her and my siblings. But Denya isn't only thinking of her family. She's worried about her neighbors. And she says the people of Pajaro deserve justice. I think it deserves climate justice because not everyone is financially well off 
and they can't afford housing, especially in other areas that are a little more expensive. Before we step outside, our photographer snaps a photo of Denya standing in what's left of her room. Denya tells me she really hopes they get the house on the hill. She says she'll text me as soon as she finds out. And I like that you might have a house in the woods. I mm-hmm. think that's cool. Hopefully we get it and we can invite both of you guys to mm-hmm. join us to eat. Yeah, we can bring some hot Cheetos or something. Mm-hmm. My mom's a big fan of them with cheese, especially. With cheese? Con queso the like liquid one or like uh, the liquid. Oh yeah, <laughs> like the gas station. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that too. <laughs> Denya's family has scrambled to find a home because of this natural disaster. Retreating from the Paho River, one family on their own. California officials are hesitantly pondering doing this on a much larger scale. It's a controversial solution, managed retreat. I think there are going to be some places where that probably makes sense. That's Carla Namath again, California's top water official. Her job is to think about the big picture of water across the state. Ultimately, what we're going to do, we're going to move a lot of people. I think that is going to be part of the discussion. Moving a lot of people is not a reality right now, not in Pajaro or anywhere in California. Instead, the state is repairing levees and investing in climate modeling to better predict the intensity of storms. The goal is to know what the flood risk is before a storm arrives and to give people plenty of time to evacuate. But Namath is aware climate change might scramble those priorities. We're going to need a new approach, and I think one of the policy tools will you know, ultimately be some degree of managed retreat from these really flood-prone areas. To do that is hella complicated. Governments might have to offer expensive buyouts, property values might plummet, and then thousands of people might have to find a new place to live. Namath says there are big questions yet to be answered. Do we want to engage in that kind of discussion? And, and what is the state role in that discussion? Sometimes people don't like the word retreat because it sounds like we've lost. A.R. Siders is a managed retreat expert at the University of Delaware. Right, it sounds like we were in a battle and we lost the battle, which on some level, it's like, yeah, you, you thought you were going to win the fight with the river? Right? Like, that's the battle you chose, right? And maybe it's just not the right battle to choose. It isn't just an issue in California, a state that has tried to tame its rivers, which are now roaring back. This stubbornness is an American trait. I think we've been approaching climate change and adaptation and as though what we're trying to do is maintain the status quo and to, to have as little amount of change as possible. And instead, I think we need to shift to think the world is going to change. And so our efforts shouldn't be to try to prevent change. They should be to try to think about what are the changes that we purposefully want to choose. So that can be a little frightening, but it can also be really exciting. Exciting, because it gives a community an opportunity to actively plan for the future. Siders told me the story of Soldiers Grove, Wisconsin, along the Kickapoo River. It flooded over and over again in sort of the 60s and the 70s. The community decided that they needed to think about some more extreme measures to dealing with flooding. And so the idea came about about relocating the town, or at least relocating parts of the town. Eventually, the neighborhoods closest to the river moved uphill with major help from the government. 
and some of the people who relocated to the town downtown area, the new area, are very happy with the new area. They're happy that they don't flood. Some of the people, especially people who stayed behind, uh, don't feel as happy about the relocation, right? Because they feel sort of that they were left behind and that services and businesses are now farther away from them or harder to get to. But the cool thing is, Cider says the town used the relocation as a way to reinvent itself. It adopted a regulation that its downtown business area would have solar power. So it became known as Solar Village for a while. The town sort of then had a different identity. That new identity matters because it means the community had a say in creating the future it wanted. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. For Carla and Denya, this mother and daughter, managing their own retreat from Pajaro has been a lot harder than they thought it would be. Nearly four months after the flood, we met at a park in Watsonville, just across the bridge from their old home. How are you? Hi, we're good. Good. Hey, Lucky. Hola, how is that? Denya tells me they didn't get that house on the hill after all. Instead, something surprising happened. A friend of one of Denya's teachers invited the family to live with them in a big two-story house nearby. She says that there's no other word than calling them her angels. These angels told her to slow down her search, rest, and save money. Carla now has a year or more to shop around for a permanent home for her family. Away from the river, Carla and Denya said they finally feel safe. But in the back of their minds, they wonder where they will ultimately call home. For now, Denya loves the pink room she shares with her mom and sister. I feel at ease. Like, I feel comfortable. Like, even though they haven't known us long and they don't know really much about us, they still care. It's like I have another grandma and grandpa. The spring floodwaters wiped away Denya's dream of going to UCLA. That's why she altered her path. Now she's in her first semester studying pediatrics at Cabrillo Community College. Denya is happy she no longer lives in Pajaro. The threat of flooding is just too high. I know housing is expensive and not affordable, but I'd really would hate seeing my neighbors stay there. I'd rather not risk it. Meanwhile, along the Pajaro River, construction crews with bulldozers and backhoes are moving gray soil, repairing what was a nearly 400-foot-wide hole in the broken levee. They are rushing before the next rainy season, trying to control the river, continuing California's endless struggle with nature. They expect to be done in about a decade. If all goes to plan for Denya, by the time that's done, she'll be a pediatrician. Where will she live? She says she's not sure. But she hopes it's near her mom, on a hill nowhere near the Pajaro River.
That was Ezra David Romero. I'm Erin Baldessari, and this is Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. If you like what you hear, follow us and drop a review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps people find the show. Next week, we travel to California's Central Valley to look at how people who are experiencing homelessness are dealing with the deadliest kind of climate threat, extreme heat. Sold Out is a production of KQED. This episode was written and reported by Ezra David Romero and edited by Erica Kelly and Kevin Stark. Jen Chien is our contributing editor. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. And Cedric Wilson wrote our theme song. Thanks to the KQED podcast team, including Katie Sprenger, Cesar Saldana, and Maha Sanad. Special thanks to Molly Solomon, co-creator and former co-host of Sold Out. We couldn't have made this season without Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Holly Carnan, and Otis Taylor Jr. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.